Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. We will be discussing today the topic of sologamy being trans species. Did you know that about a thousand trans species identifying people got together to howl in Berlin last month? The reality of this identity culture is outrageous and it really is a matter of faith and we'll get to that a little later on today. Also talking about how we view people in art and media. We're in the thick of this Theology of the Body series so we will dive into the proper perspective if you're an artist in terms of how you portray people, not just from an aesthetic perspective, but from an ethical perspective, along with how we view and consume content. Joining me now is Stella Morabito. Stella Morabito is the author of The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stroke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. It's an excellent book. I'm in the thick of reading it right now. And if you don't know Stella, she joined us in the thick of COVID talking about how fear and isolation has been at the heart of what's happened with COVID. It's at the heart of what's going on with the transgender movement. Her background includes working for a decade as an analyst at the CIA, where she focused on methods of communist media propaganda and disinformation and she's paired together here on trending before the connection between soviet tactics to isolate people to really focus in on that identity politics and loneliness and how that's a part of soviet propaganda it's a part of much of what we're seeing today and it's at the core of the transgender movement today we're going to focus on her her book the weaponization of loneliness and how we can combat it in our own lives Welcome back to Trending, Stella. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Timory. It's great to be here with you. I want to talk a little bit, for those who maybe haven't really thought about the loneliness crisis occurring in our culture from a bird's eye view, people are experiencing it from the crisis of suicide today. Maybe it's touched your own family. We see it all over in society from families, friends to pop culture uh, to even the rise in anxiety, depression. Families no longer living close to each other. The lockdowns that have occurred over the last few years. Your book really points to the core of this and how in many respects this is a strategy to bring people around to certain ideologies out of fear. Can you explain what the weaponization of loneliness is? Thank you very much, Timory. Well, um, I guess I should begin by saying that isolation, social isolation, and the threat of isolation is probably the most potent political weapon ever used. Uh, And it has been used, and it continues to be used uh, in order to, you know, control people. Uh, It's a great social engineering tool. And, uh, and of course, that's because as human beings, uh, as you know, we were created for communion with God and for communion with each other. 
In fact, the epigraph for my entire book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, comes from Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. And, uh, and we feel this. We are hardwired as human beings to connect with other people. And of course, the flip side of that is that we are scared to death of being ostracized or, to put it biblically, cast into the outer darkness. And uh, it's a very, very potent threat. And people respond to that, especially in this modern age, uh, by self-censoring, by by not saying what they believe or even lying about what they believe in order to avoid that that uh, kind of ex- expectation of social mm-hmm. rejection. And so the three main uh, components of what I call the machiner- machinery of loneliness that are used to, um, you know, isolate people in a totalitarian society or a, a society moving towards totalitarianism, which ours is now, are those three components are identity politics, political correctness, and mob agitation. So, um, you know, it's kind of a disjointed way of, of, of uh, describing because it's such a complex thing. Well, it's also very simple, but... Um, you know, what exactly I mean by the weaponization of loneliness. And I think we all know this instinctively, but I wrote the book because I thought it was extremely important for people to be able to call out and see these patterns and how they affect us and to try to break free of them. And I think you would think it was common sense what's happening with this isolation, whether it's the self-isolation, the silencing, the cancel culture we're living in. I was just talking to someone the other day and she said if she's you know making different friends, she finds that the friend is so different depending upon who she's with. Uh, She might identify with one political viewpoint around certain people and then a different and then maybe be combative in another area and submissive at another time. And there's this fear to just even discover who you are because you're constantly trying to cater to the people you're with and assimilate to them as a sense of survival, but also as a sense of fitting in. And that's what I think is so key about your book is that at the end of the day, we're seeking happiness. And the system Mm -hmm. that is in place right now isolates and silences us on a personal level from a religious perspective and even from our family in that pursuit of happiness that says you just have to fit in and comply with modern-day mob ideology. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's true that we cannot be happy uh, when we are a lot, when we are feeling that sense of rejection, ostracism. And so that's why it's been so effective, uh, political correctness, for shutting people up about what they believe and, um, and even getting people to lie about what they believe. You know, I, I mentioned this three main components because, number one, I- identity politics is designed to erase your uniqueness as a human being, to make you think of yourself only in terms of a group identity that's either oppressive or victim. Uh, And then political correctness is designed, as I said before, to induce self-censorship. And then finally, mob agitation, whether it's a street mob or a social media mob or human resources department, bureaucratic mob, in every case, they are meant to enforce that sense of the threat of being um, canceled, that threat of being ostracized if you don't comply and conform with the narrative. 
And, and, you know, the interesting thing about all of this is that narrative is really an illusion. Your friend that you mentioned or this person you were talking to who just kind of uh, took on the identities of the people she was around, that's exactly how it's meant to work. So you can't really get to know other people if you can't have real conversations. And, and that's how it's always worked in every totalitarian society, um, you know, whether it's the Jacobin uh, mobs of the French Revolution or the Bolshevik mobs or the Nazis or Mao's Cultural Revolution. Uh, the idea is to make you so fearful of being isolated and rejected and spat upon that you will uh, just comply and conform. And that's, you know, it should be so obvious to us that this is a mm -hmm. social engineering tool. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we keep falling for it because first of all i don't think people are tuned in enough to how it it, it works these dynamics mm -hmm. and uh and second of all uh because we really are you know as human beings designed and created for communion for and and yeah. we're so fearful of losing but the more you give into it the the irony is the more you give in and comply the more isolated you become it's not what people think they think that they're going to get relief uh, from that threat if they, you know, comply. It might seem that way for a short time, but, um, you know, it never works that way. You just paint yourself into a corner until mm -hmm. you're totally controlled. Right. Joining me now is Stella Morabito. She's the author of a newer book called The Weaponization of Loneliness. And she worked for years for the CIA where she focused on analyzing data on the methods of communist media, propaganda, and disinformation. Stella, you say the machinery of loneliness that is being used against people today to isolate and bring them into conformity with ideologies is identity politics, political correctness, and mob isolation. But as I look at those two first ones, identity politics and political correctness, a lot of people in society today use, in many respects, identity politics and political correctness to get you to reject your family and to get you to reject the church. So with identity politics, you say it's designed to erase uniqueness. Well, people try to say, well, because you're a member of a family and you're expected to meet responsibilities within the family, that's erasing your uniqueness and your potential. And with political correctness, on the flip side, people will say, well, the church is trying to force you into a certain way of thinking and doing. Can you debunk how that's actually the antithesis, rejecting family and church, of what the machinery of loneliness is doing. Because I think a lot of people call that the machinery of loneliness, not in those words, yeah. but like reject those ideas. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, you're always going to find the, the tyrant projecting their own intentions on on you. Uh, this is, you know, this is an, one of the oldest tricks in the book. Um, no, absolutely not. It doesn't work that way. The family, of course, there are dysfunctional families. There might be abusive uh, parents and all of that. Uh, but but that is totally, um, uh, that, that has nothing to do with the fact that the institution of the family is where a human being, a child, gets a sense of identity, gets their mm -hmm. sense of, of uh, stability, and also learns responsibility to others. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's and, psychologically, and, you grow in a sense of self, in a sense of love and uh, self-affirmation, affirmation from others. I mean, the psychology is phenomenal. Right. That's why the rejection of the family, saying that that's what holds you back, is just insane. And that's what these same people, right, from a socialist perspective, try to do to isolate you from your family. 
Well, absolutely. And we saw this in COVID as well. I mean, during the madness of those uh, COVID years, which, uh, you know, hopefully won't return, but maybe, you know, I mean, they'll never stop, uh, you know, trying to uh, isolate you from your sources of inner strength, which are primarily the family, the church or, you know, faith and community and friendship that comes from all of that. And, uh, and to, you know, you see this on every level of tyranny, too, where people are isolated um, or, or, you know, isolation, even in a one on one relationship where the partner is gaslighting the other person. They try to prevent them from having friends or other sources of influence. You see it in the toxic boss. You see it in the cult leader. You see it in, of course, the world-class dictator. It always begins, always begins with isolation. And you're exactly right, Timory. Uh, the war against family is a very old, um, old war that goes back, you know, I mean, certainly to Karl Marx uh, and the Communist Manifesto where he proclaims abolish the family, as well as this claim that religion is, quote, the opiate of the people, all that, okay. you know, the war against religion, traditional religion, you know, the source of strength uh, that people get, the inner strength that they get from having a relationship with God, the inner strength that you get from having a relationship with flesh and blood, other human beings, um, in your family and your friends and your community, these are sources of inner strength that allow you to build resistance to tyranny. And that's exactly why uh, there's a war against those institutions. These are called the mediating institutions, family, faith, community, because they are the buffer zones between the individual and the mass state, the individual and the all-powerful state. Uh, and, and you need those, a child needs those, we all need those institutions to first of all develop a sense of identity, a true sense of identity, our place in the universe, uh, as well as uh, our sense of responsibility to others. It's a fine balance. You are never gonna get that balance with a mass state that acts as uh, you know, your, you know, the daddy state or whatever. Yes. Never gonna work that way. So um, yeah, that, that, those arguments are um, you know, ridiculous on their face. I love in your book where you really drive home how fundamental it is to understand loneliness is an abnormal state for human beings. And mm -hmm. this is key, yet we allow ourselves to fall into this isolation, whether we you know, found it hard to get along with certain people, so we give up. We turn to the wrong sets of people. And then, lo and behold, this, there's this morning that you know, I don't have any friends or I work too much, so now I don't have a family. And I'm going to talk later on about sologamy, all these people who say they marry themselves, some jokingly, some seriously. But it's this idea mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't need someone else. You know, just me, myself, and I, that's enough. And I'm okay with the fact that I didn't get married. I'm okay with the fact that I didn't have children. And yet at the end of the day, there's this isolation that is so poignant that we mm -hmm. are seeing it lived out in such an odd way. And even Stella, I remember before COVID led to the various so-called lockdowns, um, there 
was this mindset that I kept thinking that we have this diseased view of the human person. As people are getting scared to be around each other, that we're looking at people as diseased. You know, there's a debate over the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, even prior to COVID. And it's mm-hmm. almost as if you view another human being as just this constant threat. And it's an ideology that needs to be thrown out that, so that we're not isolating ourselves from others based on ideologies about even how we choose to go about medical choices today. Yeah, no, you're right. At COVID, what we had never before seen in this country uh, such blatantly enforced isolation. Uh, you know, where where you're not only told to lock yourself down and cover your face. That's a, another dehumanizing part of it, uh, so that you you know you can't even smile at someone. Uh, and uh, you know they. They were also telling you to stay away, even from your family at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then they created a lot of hostilities. Uh, you know, you better tell your family, you know, uh, you know that they're endangering uh, grandma if you don't uh, get your injection. And, uh, you know, this is all very damaging. It ruined a lot of friendships. It, it family. estranged family sure. members. And that's the idea. I to mean, that's day, the though. idea. Yeah, to this day. And, and, and I spoke to a woman yesterday. Four of her adult children haven't spoken to her, want nothing to do with her. She can't see her grandchildren all over the vaccine debate right now. Unbelievable. But it, but that's where we are. You know, it's kind of interesting how much of this is the herd effect. I'm going to tell you that I was just recently at an airport, a huge airport, uh, with an international, uh, you know, me, you know, international arrivals. And it was fascinating to me. To, and I, I was kind of stuck there for a little while because of, uh, you know, the clogging at the, at the customs. And um, it was amazing how few people were wearing masks. I mean, and this is an international airport, international flights, uh, you know, comes from all over the world. I mean, mm-hmm. Middle East and uh, Europe and the Caribbean and South America. I mean, it was, uh, you know, constant flow of people from all over the place. And maybe one in maybe 50 or 100 were wearing a mask. And it it just astonishes me that all it takes is for a government entity to say, you have to, you know, wear wear the mask. And then, you know, that everybody's doing it. And then um, nobody is doing it at all. And Mm -hmm. it's it's just uh, kind of fascinating, just like a year, maybe it was a year and a half ago when when they lifted that that mandate. And, of course, there's talk about them going back to it. Mm -hmm. But but anyway, uh, I'm so sorry if I lost track of your initial question. No, I think it's just that isolation. And you mentioned kind of that viewpoint when we tend to just follow the mob, follow what everyone else is doing, that social contagion in many respects that is very prevalent with this weaponization of loneliness, which is why people are terrified to be seen saying the wrong thing, associating with the wrong person. Even this thought police type of mindset that we have out there, we've lost that combat of ideas in the culture oh, yeah. and that's at the core of this weaponization of loneliness. Now you mentioned that we're hardwired to have a flight mm-hmm. response when fo- faced with social rejection. Can you speak a little bit to why that is and how all of us really need to kind of have that uh, self-evaluation to recognize where perhaps right. we're fleeing and leading to loneliness and isolation of ourselves and others because we're afraid of social rejection. 
Well, yeah, it's it's like uh, you know, social death is you know just something that has a huge effect on people, especially children. Um, mm-hmm. Well, everybody really, but children are especially susceptible to 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 a lot of that, and you know the vulnerability. But we're all vulnerable, uh, and I guess what I would say to that is, you're going to be even more vulnerable far more vulnerable if you don't have those strong relationships to fall back on, strong relationships in family, strong relationships in your faith, strong relationships with friends in your community where you can speak openly in confidence with people about what you really believe, about, uh, you know, uh, without worrying about being rejected. If you have that, then you are not as vulnerable and you can build up much more easily a resistance to tyranny and being told what to do. It's still hard. I mean, and everybody has their breaking point and everybody has a, you know, a certain level of vulnerability. But um, I think the, the answer is to break through this isolation and to establish relationships mm-hmm. uh, and, and to understand how important uh, strong marriage is for a strong society and uh, strong families are to a strong civil society and building strong communities. Uh, You know, when you can't talk to people openly, you can't get to know them. Mm -hmm. You are in a state of isolation. And those people, that's right, your original question about, you know, people say, well, you know, all I need is myself. Well, try that in solitary confinement. Because uh, in solitary confinement, you know, people basically go nuts if they don't uh, especially if they don't have strong faith and have a relationship with God that they can fall back on. And, um, you know, it just doesn't work the way people think, right. <laughs> you know, when they right. say, oh, I don't need anybody. <laughs> um, you know, maybe they've been disappointed in people and that's understandable. But, if you know, if you, there, there, are, there are ways around that, you know, through reading good mm-hmm. books and prayer and all kinds of ways to strengthen your inner resolve. But I want, Tim Marie, I wanted to say one more thing that I think your listeners should be aware of. Um, we're moving in a very dangerous direction, uh, even more, you know, recently, uh, because of the report, the advisory that the Surgeon General released a few months ago. The Surgeon General of the United States, Vivek Murthy, released this advisory called Our epidemic of loneliness and social isolation. And the claim is that the government needs to get involved in solving our loneliness crisis. Create a department for it. (laughs) Oh, there you go. That's right. That's right. And, and, um, but this is really dangerous stuff. It's an 81 page advisory that claims that it's an urgent, um, Mm -hmm. you know, health crisis. And indeed, as I say in my book, the weaponization of loneliness Social isolation very definitely adversely affects not only mental health, but physical health as well. But the Surgeon General, uh, his advisory is using that Mm -hmm. in order to promote what looks very much like a blueprint for government invasion of the private sphere of life. One thing I didn't say up front is so much of this attack on the private sphere of life is actually meant to induce isolation. And in fact, if you read the advisory, it's about tracking and monitoring the social connections of all Americans in every place that people gather, 
And, you know, whether it's a school or a church or a transportation hub or, a, or, or just a club or a volunteer organization or a library, every place people gather, tracking social connections and uh, using the health sector to do that and big tech to do that. It's all in this whole infrastructure that's laid out in that advisory. Mm -hmm. And I, I think people need to become more aware of this. I wrote a three-part series for The Federalist. I'm a senior contributor to The Federalist as well. And, and uh, on that advisory, which Hillary Clinton wrote it up in The Atlantic, and she actually pirated the title of my book uh, in that Atlantic article uh, in August, uh, calling it our what was she? Oh, she called it the weaponization of loneliness. I'd never seen my title used uh, unrelated to my book before Hillary Clinton wrote that piece. So wow. anyway, they, they're just claiming that, oh, the right wing is responsible for social isolation. The right, you know, it was just a big enemies list on her part. Anyway, um, it's kind of a roundabout way, all of that, of saying that we are moving in a direction where the government is even more intent on isolating us mm -hmm. under the guise of protecting us from social mm -hmm. isolation. Right. And it reminds me of the Chinese surveillance culture and social currency that they are facing there in China. It's what we're seeing in being made an effort to be implemented here in the United States. And it's a warning. I appreciate that you focus in on that because this social isolation that is so prevalent, the depression, the anxiety, the mental health crisis, all is a part of this. This is why I'd like to come back, Stella, and speak to what needs to be done to prevent isolation in our lives. I know you touched on how important community and family and culture is, but I think it's a good opportunity for self-reflection to protect against this weaponization of loneliness and even to touch briefly on how we can help in changing the cultural mindset about it and even policy. I'll be right back here on Trending with Stella Morabito. If you have a question for her, the number is 888-914-9149. She wrote the book, The Weaponization of Loneliness. I'm reading it now. It's excellent. Her work's fabulous. She worked with the CIA for a number of years, focusing on methods that are used for propaganda and disinformation to move people to a particular way of thinking and functioning. So we'll be right back to speak more with Stella Morbido to talk about how we can build a community and protect ourselves from loneliness. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm joined today by Stella Morabito, the author of The Weaponization of Loneliness. She worked with the CIA as a data analyst some years ago, focusing on methods of communist media propaganda and disinformation. She shows in her work, and she's been with us before, tying this to the transgender ideology, how loneliness has been used through identity politics, political correctness, and mob isolation to isolate us and to get us as human beings to follow particular ideologies, ideologies of society and the government. And what we're talking about now is how we become resilient to social isolation tactics. 
by being aware in our own lives, our community, culture, even policy, what we can do to protect ourselves. Earlier, Stella, you commented that we're hardwired to have a flight response when faced with social rejection. Because of that, it really, I think, calls for a great level of self-awareness and evaluation of building up that community so that we are not prey to ongoing attempts to really isolate different parts of society away from each other. So where do you begin? Let's talk with the personal side of life in terms of becoming resilient to the social isolation. Well, I guess the first thing we need to understand is that, well, not, you know, in addition to the patterns uh, that help us recognize what's going on. I mean, that's why I wrote the book. But we need to understand that personal, strong personal relationships are the greatest currency that we can possibly have. And, you know, if you want to call it currency, I mean, you know, it's it's just the most important thing in life. And and so it's it's important to do everything we can to strengthen our relationships uh, in our families. I mean, you know, if you if you're on the outs with someone, think about what you can do to reestablish, uh, you know, a good, healthy con, uh, you know, uh, connection. Um, but but also reach out to others in love, uh, you know, as, as you know, develop friendships, cultivate friendships. Uh, but understand also that hiding what you believe or even lying about what you believe, I understand that everybody has a different threshold for what they can speak openly about. However, we need to understand that we move ourselves more and more into isolation if we deliberately self-censor things that are just basic to our own identity, what, you know, what our beliefs are, what our ideas are, and all of that. And, um, and so we have to learn to speak up and speak out. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, connection, social connection, relationship, if you just want to put it in a biblical sense, you know, think of this, think of how, what does it mean, the word, you know, in the beginning was the word. I mean, our ability to commune and communicate with others uh, is, is essential to uh, not only our happiness, but being able to live, uh, you know, a, a life uh, that's, that's true and good. And, and if we no longer can communicate, I mean, we're in isolation. And, uh, and so that is, you know, the first thing we need to understand is free speech is a use it or lose it proposition. We have an inalienable right to speak. And the more that we're fearful of it, the, the tighter those, uh, you know, the stranglehold will be on us uh, to uh, shut up. And uh, so we, we can't allow that to happen. So that's number mm-hmm. one. And, and I'll just and, comment you know, briefly, if you don't mind, Stella, when you said don't sure. self-censor when we're around these personal relationships, I think there's a big difference between being polite in yourself versus yes. self-censoring and being inauthentic. Because there are things that we don't always have to say to everyone right. that we think or view, but you still need to be authentic. And so if you find yourself self-censoring in an inauthentic way, I think that's key is if you feel like you can't actually be yourself or say what you want to say, that's problematic. We should be able to find a way to disagree within those relationships right. that we have. And if someone can't handle that honesty of who you are, well, then sometimes those are relationships that can fall by the wayside if, if it is on the other part of the person. Right. Well, one of the things that I, I say, when it, you know, when it comes to doing that, 
you know, the, there are three outcomes. Like if you're talking to somebody that maybe you don't know, that doesn't know what you believe, but that's somebody who implicitly trusts you, you know, maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor or someone, but they, you know, they, they, they don't really know a huge amount about you. And, um, there are three things that can happen. You know, mostly people are fearful and they'll shut up on a on an issue like whether it's abortion or what they believe about, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, even even the transgender stuff. And I'll get to that in a minute, too. But if you you can be surrounded with people who agree with you and not know it. That's where we are today. That's where all of our self-censorship through political correctness is led. People are so fearful of expressing themselves that they don't even know who agrees with them and who doesn't. And that's the whole idea behind, you know, the, the isolation so that we don't even know who agrees with us. And so um, I've had this happen to me before when I've expressed what I believed and I've had people say, oh, I thought I was all alone. You can find out that, you know, you can embolden a like-minded thinker just by saying what you believe in a very nice way. Well, you know, I'm, you know, when it comes to that issue, I'm on the other side of the fence, whatever. Um, and you can find out that somebody is just thrilled to know someone else who, you know, believes the same thing. But the second thing that can happen is you're dealing with a fence sitter. And so if you express yourself, uh, you know, you may have influenced that person. And of course, the reason a lot of people shut up is they, they're dealing with someone who's going to tell them, uh, you know, they disagree and get mad. But what you've done is just, just as powerful. And that is you have watered down the stereotype associated with your point of view. If that person implicitly trusts you and then finds out that you're on the other side of an issue, um, they're going to think about it. Yes. You know, yep. they're, it, yep. it, and, and so just it's so healthy for civil society and the growth of civil society to be able. And as you said, you know, we don't, you know, try to offend people or anything. But if it comes up and and you feel, uh, you know, that you have, a, you know, an obligation, whether it's a you know religious obligation or anything else. Uh, to be true to yourself and just say, well, you know, when it comes to that, I, I'm on the other side or, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's just something that we have to we have to start thinking about more because this, the years and decades and decades of self-censorship, you know, the fears of, you know, being politically correct has got us to this transgender craziness, um, which, by the way, I believe is very much related to the weaponization of loneliness because yes. it's all out there to destabilize. It's meant to destabilize children, to destabilize our language through the pronoun protocols, to destabilize our communication. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a very isolating, um, uh, you know, policy, if you want to call it a policy, but, you know, wh where we, uh, you know, are with that. But it would never have gotten this far if people weren't so fearful of, of um, you know, being called a conspiracy theorist or whatever when mm. they've pointed out the, you know, where that road leads. Yes, yes, yeah. And people are afraid to speak up, afraid to offend. In the gender theory, I love that where you pointed out, it's at the heart of social isolation today. And I think it is so 
relevant to that breakdown of the parent-child relationship, the education system. I think that it's key. And that's how I actually first found your work, because when you spoke about what's happening with the transgender ideology and how it imitates propaganda that was used during very focused communist society and Soviet Union, I think that that's key for us to understand that is what's at the heart of society today. And it's a battle over God at the end of the day. If you can't even say you know what you are, male or female, if you can't even say right. that at the core, it's a rejection of God and it's a rejection of any sort of familial connection that we might have as human beings. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate your focusing on that. Focusing on this question, how to become resilient to that social isolation in our lives, let's talk a little bit about the community around us, church, grocery stores, neighborhoods. I find that, especially, you know, I live in Southern California, and neighborhoods, you know, most people don't know their neighbors anymore. It takes effort. You know, people can never know a name or see them passing by. I'm still working on one of my neighbors right now who avoids all eye contact as much as can Uh. be. and even grocery stores are just humanizing our our neighbor that we are interacting with, saying hello, getting to know their names, and diving into our church communities. I think this is so important, yet we tend to just try to check in and check out and not necessarily build those relationships. And yet it's mm-hmm. fundamental to our community, to social isolation, and also helping others and protecting them from social isolation as well. Oh, absolutely. When people know that there's somebody else out there who, you know, is even willing to smile and and say hello and, and uh, you know, start to develop a relationship. I mean, you know, it, there's so much social distrust now because of all we've been through uh, that kind of culminated with COVID, but it's getting even worse, <laughs> in my view. Um, but um to build that resilience, you have to start by building trust. And and we're kind of in an asymmetric war now when it comes to the war against family and the war against religion. When I say asymmetric, uh, I mean that so much is going to depend upon one-on-one conversations and one-on-one relationships because uh, all of the big institutions have been subverted and corrupted, whether it's, you know, uh, well, of course, it started with education, but then it went into all of the other, you know, institutions, whether it's a court, the corporate world, finance, sports, and, you know, the arts, and, you know, everywhere. I mean, it's all Hollywood, of course, but all of the institutions are corrupted. We have some of those mediating institutions left that we have to work with. The only places where we can have a private sphere of life where we can actually develop even stronger relationships that ripple outward. But we have to start by building trust. And that's one person at a time, which means it's an asymmetric war. We're not going to be able to use institutions like the mass media. I mean, we've got alternative media, but uh, I've got to build on that. But uh, it so much depends on our one-on-one relationships and friendships that can ripple outward throughout society. And we can see the collapse of the transgender project even before our eyes right now because Mm. people are more and more willing to speak out. And as more people speak out, those who agree but were afraid to are now speaking out as well. And and that's, that's what it's all about is creating that ripple effect of trust that comes through communication, that comes through conversation. 
And, um, and, and we just got to keep building and building on that. I mean, the, you know, the institutions, as you know, are under attack in a way that they've never been under attack before. I mean, the family, I mean, it's becoming very blatant. Of course, the churches, so many are becoming infiltrated with a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, it, it's really important, especially in those institutions, to speak up and speak out. Um, you know, and it takes leaders. Like I said, everybody has a different threshold. But it takes leaders who can lead the way in all of this, who have courage that allow others to follow suit instead of remaining silent. Stella, and that's how you, you build resilience. Yes. Thank you for your words of honesty and what's happening in the culture with regard to isolation and how to build resilience. Your book the weaponization of loneliness, I think, is at the heart of taking back a Christian society, a family-focused society in the midst of what we are facing today. So please check out Stella Morabito's work, The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. It's an excellent book. We're posting a link on social media as well as in the ep episode notes. Just find those at relevantradio.com under the trending page. Stella, thank you for joining us. I will be right back here on Trending, and we are going to talk about art and how we view the human person art, along with trans species and sologamy. Did you hear about a thousand trans species identifying people joined together in Berlin to howl together in unison? with their trans species identity. I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Two topics maybe you didn't think we'd discuss today. That is being trans species and sologamy. What's sologamy? That's where you marry yourself. Flying solo. It's a trend and it has been. We've been discussing it for years here on Trending. Why is all of this happening? From people who identify as trans and howl together, thousand or so of them in Berlin last month, to person after person who comes out saying they married themselves. It's this culture of... You do you. Only yourself is tolerable and good enough to live with, so marry yourself. I don't need a man. It's a self-protection mechanism from wounds that have occurred, from the frustration of isolation. It's the breakdown of the family. It's at the heart of this whole trans-species sologamy, sologamy culture, but really what's at the heart of it is this anti-God mindset. You just look at the stories of people such as Emma Watson, and even Selena Gomez, who when they turned 30 over the last few years, came out saying they're marrying themselves. I remember when Emma Watson did her British Vogue interview when she turned 30 a few years ago, she said, it took me a long time, but I'm very happy being single. I call it being self-partnered. <laughs> and then Selena Gomez actually threw herself a wedding for her 30th birthday. Wedding dress, cake, all of it to marry herself. And these things, although for some it might be a joke, for some women it might be this desire that they've always wanted to have a, a wedding and they've watched this commercial view of weddings and, well, they want that. And they haven't gotten it. They have no husband. They have no children. So it appeals to them to be able to throw this self-indulgent party. 
And this all ties into what's happening. Women are having fewer children than they want. We see time and time again that many people are having one or two children, and yet statistics keep coming out that most people want three or more children, in fact. But women are afraid to do so. They're told they'll be geriatric moms, as if God got wrong when he can and can't allow people to have children. It's amazing to me. The biblical narrative is all about people having children at inopportune times and in miraculous ways. Yeah, I think that this whole, from the sologamy marrying yourself culture to the trans species insanity is all a means of self-protection from a disordered view of freedom. Everyone wants freedom. Everyone wants happiness. But they think freedom is doing whatever the heck I want. Rather than viewing themselves as having the ability and self-possession to give themselves away to someone else out of love. But that's fundamentally a faithful perspective. And this is in part why we've been working through our Theology of the Body series. Because Pope St. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body spoke to the time as he was speaking in the 70s and early 80s, and even so prophetically into today, a culture that needs to understand that God made us. He created us with a blueprint for the human person, and he made us to give ourselves away to other people. Jesus Christ models that on the cross. He models what it looks like to live our human lives. Through the grace of God, it is bloody, bruised, and beaten. It's sacrificial. It's loving. It's seen, I am so free, I can give myself freely for others. Yet we have this self-soothing, self-identifying culture of insanity, and it is. It's a rejection of self because we've rejected God and therefore we reject others. Now, the Daily Mail reported on the story that I keep alluding to, where in Germany last month, around a thousand people identifying as trans species actually met in Berlin at the railway station in at the Germany at Germany's capital to howl at each other. Listen to this audio. <laughs> stupider for listening to this but i had just had to show you that this isn't a joke there are videos there are photos they about a thousand people came together identifying as dogs among other things why is it that places such as the daily mail and others can report on this and laugh at it and even have titles saying are they barking mad why is it that it's considered insane to identify as a dog but it's not insane for a man to identify as a woman like people recognize it's a biological and intellectual impossibility to suddenly go from a human to an animal. That's a big chasmic jump, but so is the jump between male and female. And I think we all deep down inside know this and need to call it for what it is. The extreme side of this transgender ideology is saying that you can be anything, trans species. I could be dirt. I could be a 50-year-old man. I could be a four-year-old little boy. And this is how crazy this is. But what happens is, is when we reject God, we see the antithesis of God. God is perfect order. What's the antithesis of this? Chaos. Loneliness is the antithesis of the communion of persons. For us to understand that God made us in his image and likeness. To understand that God is a triune of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we are called to enter into that communion of persons, of life-giving, self-giving love. That Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, is calling us to enter into that same 
loving identity and sacrifice. Self-hatred and the trans ideologies that we see today are an outright rejection of the God-given view of what it means to be a human person. Are you or someone you know, know struggling with loneliness, isolation, bodily rejection? Then turn to God for comfort, for consolation, and for identity. We talk a lot in our Catholic tradition about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving during Lent and a little bit during Advent as well. We should be talking about it more during Advent. And yet we need to focus on it more because prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is transformative for overcoming that loneliness isolation, and bodily rejection of the transgender, trans-species movement that we've been discussing all hour. Now, I want to tie this in for a moment into the Theology of the Body series. But before we do that, have you heard? We are heading into the Christmas season. We only have a few months to go. And yet again, here at Relevant Radio, we're so excited. A generous donor is giving away 200 beautiful hand-painted nativity sets here on Rele- at Relevant Radio. Each one's valued at $500 each. So please display the true, humble, and profound reason for the season to your family, to your neighborhood. You can do the- so by signing up to win a set at relevantradio.com slash set. Sign up before midnight central on October 15th. That's relevantradio.com slash set. Let's talk about the theology of the body in art. As we're walking through our series, and I hope you'll let me know how you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions, we're on Catechetical Talk 60 through 63, summarizing this section where we've been focusing in on the Sermon on the Mount. And St. Pope John Paul II coins this phrase of the ethos of the image and the ethos of scene, where he talks about the responsibility of the way in which artists see their responsibility, not just for the aesthetic side of what they create, but for the ethical dimension of their art. Also, the obligation on the side of the recipient as well. Pope St. John Paul II is focusing on how important it is to embrace what is personal, what is human, what is the individual. Artists are meant to express what Pope St. John Paul II says, the truth about man in his maleness and in a woman's femaleness in terms of the bodily dimension of the body. Yet, often today, Pope St. John Paul II points to warnings against pornography and against the use and reductive view of the human person. See, as viewers of art, we're always meant to draw closer to truth, especially the truth of the reality of the male and female dimension of the human person and the body, rather than strictly living on a superficial consumer side of art, whether it be ballet, music, all forms of dance, television, cinema, We're called to contemplation. As human beings, art should lead us to the contemplation of truth, which should lead us to the contemplation of God. It should lead us to prayer. This is why true leisure, true art is a part of leisure, and leisure is meant to orient us toward prayer. And so there's great warning from Pope St. John Paul II to not exploit art in an anonymous way, but to always see the personal, individual dimension That a human person is never an object, but always a subject to be embraced and loved. And I think that helps to keep us accountable in what we choose and choose not to consume in terms of the content that we see and hear. 
This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Monday, during our weekly happy hour, we'll talk about voting like a Catholic. And did you hear the news? Tattoo artist and TV personality Kat Von D has been baptized after giving up witchcraft. It's an awesome story. We've been sharing it here as it's unfolded on Trending. So join me, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.